podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Sharon Duquette is an award-winning author who has been a computer programmer, a project manager, and a deputy director in a state government. In her memoir, No Rules, Sharon writes about her journey of awakening to feminism and discovering her own strength after running away as a teenager to join the hippies in 1971. Sharon lives in central Connecticut with her husband and within driving distance of her three children and four grandchildren. She is currently seeking representation on her new thriller about when climate change, corruption, and betrayal converge on one woman as she struggles to find her husband after he has disappeared. Sharon, welcome to the Storyteller's Microphone. I couldn't be more happy to have you. Thank you. It's glad. I'm very glad to be here today, Grace, and thank you for having me. I want to jump right into the idea of genre, because until I started doing the storytellers, and I will just be candid here, I thought memoir was for really famous people, and then I wasn't really sure why they would write it, and certainly why people who weren't quite as famous, perhaps as world famous people, would dabble in it. And now I would tell you it is one of my absolutely favorite genres. So why was memoir important for you? Uh, well, when I first started writing it, I didn't even know what to call it because I was writing it back in 1980s. Um, and, you know, I thought autobiography, but that didn't sound right. But, you know, I needed to write it. And then I discovered memoir. Um, it wasn't really that widely popular at that time. It wasn't discussed that much. It really came into its own more into the 90s. Um, but for me, it mattered because I had this period of time in my life that was important to me that so much had happened, so much had changed. Um, and it was all disappearing in a lot of ways, kind of disappearing from people's memory, disappearing from, you know, the mainstream America that understood what it was all about and just kind of fading away. And I wanted to capture that. So that was what was important and, to me. And you capture it beautifully. You and I are roughly the same ages. And in that scene where you are getting ready to run away and you're layering your clothes and you're talking about, I think it's the tape deck or, or I think it's the tape deck that your parents gave you for Christmas. I was right back there in that room with the magic marker, uh, posters, etc. So you did a very, very good job of that. But when I think of memoir, you're welcome. When I think of memoir now, increasingly, I think it's both what you said, which is capturing that period of history, but it's also building a common bond between us. Is that something you wanted to capture? Or am I off base there? No, absolutely. Um, because, you know, women nowadays, young women, women our age, older women even, have all benefited from the, uh, um, you know, from the feminist movement, from the women's liberation movement. Um, it's changed all of our lives. It's changed society, um, even around the world, beyond the United States where it got started. Uh, so it's important, I think, that we understand kind of the before and after of what went on during this transitional period of time 
And um, because I don't think that's clear to a lot of young people. And I've had young people tell me that if they didn't really understand about that. And, you know, to we them, all stand on we all stand on somebody else's shoulders, don't we? Absolutely, we do. So. The other thing that you point out in the book is something that really spoke to my heart. First of all, I worked in Lawrence, Mass. for a while, so I loved that, you know, I could see the factory that your father had worked in in my mind because I had driven by it. But, you know, we both come out of a Catholic background, but you also capture, when we go back to this idea of feminism, and I want to talk a bit more about that, you and your mom were in an interesting juxtaposition, I think, before you ran away. You have a beautiful scene where she talks about um, not being able to play the piano because she couldn't play the piano well, or, or she was told she couldn't do that. And then you wanted to go to college, and she told you the same thing. Yeah, you know, yeah, she couldn't. Well, yeah, she was told her hands were too small. Women can't play the piano, and that she couldn't have... Um, well, she could play the piano, but she could be a concert pianist. That was her her dream in life was to be a concert pianist. And she played really well. But um, being as, uh, you know, they just told her her hands were too small and women aren't concert pianists. And that was why. Um, and she said, plus, she couldn't do that anyway because she wanted to have a family. and She couldn't have a family and have a career. So, uh, you know, she pretty much said to me that... Um, you know, I had to choose what did I want, and that if I chose to have a career, it would be a very lonely life. And I think younger women can't possibly understand that. My father um, was in television news, and therefore I wanted to follow him into television news, mm -hmm. and I wanted to be an evening anchor. And my mom said to me, not because she didn't think you know, I rocked the world, but she was like, and who would put dinner on the table and who would put the kids to bed? It was just out of their mindset, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah, wasn't possible. So, and it wasn't possible for the most part. I mean, very few women at that time were able to go beyond that. I mean, you know, it happened, but they were rare. There were few and far between. Um, so that was um, just assumed that that was their role. So somehow you found feminism and, and, and in your book, and you have a fabulous book trailer. I'd like to talk about that just for a second. I love your book trailer done by a mutual friend of ours, Denise Burt, I think. Yeah. And that also, for anybody who needs that extra taste, I'd really recommend that they look at your trailer. So what were you trying to accomplish in that minute and a half of trailer? Well, in the minute and a half of trailer, it it's... Um basically just a quick overview of, of, you know, leaving this very, um, this life that was so sheltered and so restricted and trying to go out and find this unlimited freedom that I expected to find. And then of course it wasn't like that necessarily. Um, and then going from there to, you know, trying to find who I really was and where did I fit into that, that, that openness of making essentially determining what my own rules were going to be about my life. Um, I like to say how the, the story um, and the title, no rules uh, talks about it has a double meaning because at the beginning, the no rules is to throw up my parents' rules and to go out into the world. And then later on, I come to see that the rules that are really repressing uh, what I can do in my life are the rules that are, were made for women at that time, you know, that women had to live under these rules and that uh, 
we had to break out of that society's rules about women's place in the world. So talk more about the book, No Rules, and your journey so that people can get a sense of what that was like, where you could find the difference between your parents' rules, society rules, and then rules you set for yourself. Okay, so when I first left home, I was 16 years old. Um, I went with my older sister and we went across country to, we ran, I, I ran away from home. She left too without telling anyone. Um, and we left and we went to California and ended up on Venice Beach, California, which is notorious enough that everyone knows what it is nowadays. Back then we had never heard of it. Um, but once we were there, we got a little apartment uh, for very cheap because at the time you could live on the beach not on the beach, but in an apartment on the beach for $90 a month, which I'm sure people would find shocking now. Mm -hmm. like you, you can't stay for a night in Venice Beach for $90 a month. <laughs> so right. anyway, um, so we did that and, uh, and it soon became apparent. And it was such a dramatic change in my life because the type of people that I met and all the possibilities of what could happen was just amazing and in, in both good and bad ways. Um, so I had a lot of experiences that uh, were, some were frightening to me, some were wonderful to me. Um, there was a fair amount of drugs involved. Uh, and then from there, um, I eventually left and, and went on to other places, uh, ended up, you know, and it kind of jumps this. So the book goes forward to a couple of years, the, the following 1972, 1973, and into 1974, and what happened to me during those years and how I changed uh, places I went, the people I met, uh, ended up living on a commune for a while, back to nature out in the, out in the hills of upstate New York. Um, and that was like a back to land, what they called it at the time, it was a back to land commune. Um, now, I guess we call it off the grid, uh, which it was. We were completely off the grid. We had no electricity, anything. Um, and that was when feminism and the women's movement was really in full swing. We were about a half hour away from Ithaca, where Cornell was located. And there was a uh, women's center there that we would attend, uh, myself and uh, another woman who lived at Hubbard Hill, who's my close friend. And we learned a lot there. And that's when I really came to understand and see what I had been going through and, and how this was changing and how I wanted to change and have that be part of me. It's such an incredible journey. And when I was reading the book, there was the younger me who was cheering you on and envious of your bravery. And then there was the older me as a mom and a grandmother, as you are, who was thinking, what was she thinking? How could she do that? Yeah. So talk about the younger you first. Was it a brave thing? I think it was a necessary thing as you paint the picture in your family yeah. and your relationship with Anne, your older sister. But was it a brave thing? How do you look on that now? Um, well, I mean, I didn't feel like I was being brave at the time. I thought I was just doing something that anyone could do. Um, others had done it. There's no reason why I couldn't. That's kind of how I looked at it. 
um, and I felt like the world was passing me by. This is kind of one of these, I've always had that feeling it's kind of stayed with me all my life that I'm missing something, I'm missing out on something. Uh, and I felt like I was missing out on something really important. I wanted to be a part of it. And because I didn't like how my future was going based on my, my mother's expectations of how my life was going to be, uh, I didn't see the point of staying and continuing doing that when I could go join life and, and go live the way I wanted to live and, and experience how the world was changing. Um, so a lot of people say it was brave. Uh, I mean, I look back now at pictures of me at that age and I look and I say, oh my God, I was such a child. <laughs> and you were. <laughs> so uh, You didn't yeah. know it then, but yes, you were. Yeah, I didn't feel like it then. I mean, obviously I discovered that I was in many ways, but, but you know, at that time I always felt, you know, by the time I was 21, I felt like, oh, I've done everything and I've been everywhere. And of course I hadn't, <laughs> but um, that was, it's just how I saw myself. Um, one thing I regret not putting more of in the book is in the epilogue. I wish I had written more about my relationship with my parents uh, as I got older. I, I know what that would that, you say? Um, my relationship with my parents was good. Um, in fact, at one time, I think I was in my 20s, perhaps, my mother said to me, you know, I never worry about you because I know you can take care of yourself. So... Um, that made me feel that made me feel very good and uh <clears throat> and i think that whole experience in life gave me the confidence to try new things as as life went on uh to put myself out there and not be afraid of the consequences yeah i obviously would be cautious of the consequences as i got older um but instead of saying oh i'm not going to do this because this might happen, that might happen. I, I, I could make myself do things that I knew I needed to do uh, career-wise and stuff like that. Do you have a sense that um, you would do that again? Now in your current self, would you say, of course, I just run away and do that? Or do you think you would have not done it? If you knew now what you knew then? Or, uh, yeah, 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 I, I, I would done the same thing I think you know being in the same circumstances um, I probably would have been more cautious about people I would have respected myself more uh, that's something I had to learn but I think that came out of um, that whole feeling of that you know women are not enough women are inferior um, women defer to men and what they say and what they do so when you kind of grow up believing that that's how it works, it's very easy to be um, sort of manipulated by men because you figure they know everything and you know nothing. And it's such a mind shift. Now you have children and grandchildren and you're still very much a feminist. Yes. How have your children embraced or rebelled against that? Um, well, okay, so... My youngest son, um, they're, they actually just announced a couple of days ago that they're having uh, a girl. They're pregnant and Congratulations. And his wife. And um, he talked about, you know, at, at one point he said, 
he really wanted to have a girl and then but now he's scared because of all the stuff that's going on in, in in this country about what her future will be like and he wants her to have all the choices that she can have and do anything that she wants to do so that really you know epitomizes you know what that's all about so yeah all my all, i have three sons and i have four grandsons so it's been all about the boys <laughs> my whole life so i'm looking forward to the girl and it will be a different experience i'm sure um but you know they've uh they've all embraced all, all three of them married strong woman women um all three of them uh share in everything that needs to be done with the family um they they are as involved in taking care of their children as their wives are and um they they respect women uh you know, so I think it's they've, they've understood that and they've embraced that in themselves. And what a beautiful generational change for you personally and then for us as society that in our lifetime we can point to those um, developmental growths as individuals, as men, and as a society as a rule. Yeah. yeah. And, and I would hope for more of that. I'm just, you know, I, I think that our current climate does put us in a situation where we have to consider those things seriously and what the future of women are in our society. Tell us now, let's just take a giant leap into the book that you are currently looking for representation because it embraces your living off the grid, if you will, because of your love for the environment. You still have feminism. Tell us about your new book. Okay. So my, my new book, um, it's, uh, the working title is Layers of Betrayal. So when it eventually gets published, it, I don't know if that'll be the title or not, but um, it's about, uh, it takes place in what's essentially around the current time um, with a different administration that is doing everything they can to repress uh, um, green energy and environmental progressiveness. Uh, they've defunded, um, all like companies, they've taken away uh, government funding for research for green energy and that kind of thing. Um, and in that book, uh, a woman who is a successful businesswoman um, is a, uh, her and her husband go down to Washington uh, to protest uh, about them making changes to uh, the Clean Air Act, basically, uh, to make it, uh, the, the premise is that they have decided that it's discriminatory to favor uh, electric cars and that kind of thing. Um, and therefore they should, um, in order to make everything fair and equal, that there shouldn't be a law, any laws that favor green energy and that um, laws that favor, you know, that fossil fuel vehicles and everything have to have the same, um, allowances made to them so they go down to protest that and then the process of this protest um the uh the husband is uh does something that is not really allowed nowadays it's a much more repressive environment and um he's he's dragged away she sees him being dragged away and disappears into a vehicle an unmarked vehicle and then um, she's warned that she has to flee and she's in danger too and that they'll come after her 
if she doesn't get out of there. And so the rest of the book is about how she's going to um, uh, find him in order to free him and uh, how she's going to um, protect herself in the meantime because unsavory characters come along. Um, the one thing that happened before that is that he had given her a list of email addresses. And in these email addresses, uh, he said, if anything happens to me, these email addresses may be able to help. So she starts going through this list of contacting people. And one of them turns out to be this unexpected kind of person who's um, basically out to, well, I'm not going to say what, but he's dangerous. <laughs> and then um, and another one ends up being her long ago lover um, and former husband's best friend who uh, is a person who helps free climate activists from the U.S. and get them into Canada. And so the two of them team up in order to free her husband. And I should point out also that because this plays a lot in the story. Uh, at the beginning of the book, we, we find out now in the very first paragraph, it used to be a little bit deeper in, but now in the very first paragraph, we find out that they had a, an adult son who had been killed in a wildfire in California a couple of years earlier. And since that time, their marriage has been really on the rocks and and, sh and she's still really upset and, and, and unable to cope with that grief. It's it sounds fabulous. I hope you get the representation. It so well deserves. And I, I think it's interesting. So you switched from memoir to thriller. Was that planned or was this just the story that you were given in your head? Um, it wasn't planned. After I wrote the memoir, I wasn't really sure what I was going to write. I know I didn't I didn't want to write another memoir because I didn't want to get into, you know, any other time in my life unless I was writing about my childhood. Uh, you know, I didn't really want to be writing about my family. Um, my family now, my children, my husband, you know, I wanted them to have their privacy and um, not write about that. So um, I considered what else I might write, which of course would be fiction. And uh, I'm not really like a nonfiction autobiographical type of writer. And one of the, one of the reasons I started thinking about Thriller was in some of my reviews, a lot of people were talking about how No Rules was a real page turner. They were on the edge of their seats. They were wondering what was going to happen. And um, I thought, well, geez, that's a lot of the, uh, you know, if, I, if that's how I write. And I enjoyed writing like that. I mean, I enjoyed throwing out those cliffhangers. And I'd be writing, and I'd go, oh, this is a good place to blend it here and start the next chapter. Um, I really enjoyed that part of it. So I thought, you know, I'll explore writing a thriller. And, and in between there, I had I had started putting together a, a woman's fiction book, but it wasn't really speaking to me. It just wasn't doing what I wanted to do. So I put that aside. And, and I think this book hit me because climate change and the climate crisis is very important to me. And it's something I really care about a lot. So I wanted to say something about that, you know, particularly having children and grandchildren. Um, you know, I want to make sure that they all have a good planet to live on as they, as they grow older. So, um, that's why it mattered to me. 
Well, I look forward to it. In the meantime, there's your memoir, No Rules. Where can our listeners find out more about you and where can they get No Rules? Okay, well, I have a website, um, SharonDuquette.com. And um, from there, there's links to everything. I'm also on Facebook, um, Sharon Duquette Author. And Sharon Duquette is my personal page. A lot of people go to either or both. Um, and then I'm also on Instagram, which is Sharon dot Duquette. Um, so I kind of wish I can put the dot in there <laughs> now because, but it's too late to change it because it's in my book. It's everywhere. So, uh, yeah. And I, I'm on Twitter, but not as much. And that's a uh, travel SED, which is like an old Twitter account. I started for a different reason, but there again, you can't change those things. So let's just start a whole different one. But very accessible, and I urge everybody to reach out to Sharon. She's fun to follow. She's a great supporter of other authors, and she's a wonderful writer. Sharon, thank you for being on the Storyteller Microphone with me today. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. This has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. Thanks for being with us. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon. <laughs>